Well, good morning again. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, which is in the New Testament. You can use one of the church Bibles in front of you. It's on page 980. Let me again just reiterate one of the announcements that Jenny made. We do have Bibles available for you if you don't have a Bible and would like to take a Bible uh, for your own. Let me just encourage you in this way. You will be so helped in the, the course of the next three months, which is how long we're going to be spending in Philippians, if you have a Bible in front of you. And you're going to be helped because it's going to do a couple things. Number one, it's going to keep me honest. It's going to keep me on the script. And it's going to keep you engaged. You'll be able to follow along with the things that I say. I understand preaching to be the teaching of the Bible. And so that's what we begin to do this morning through the book of Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1. We're going to spend our time this morning on verses 1 through 11. Philippians 1, again, page 980 in the church Bibles in front of you. As we turn there, here's what we read from the Apostle Paul. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we confess the Lord Jesus as the cornerstone, the head of the church, one in whom we find life and peace and forgiveness. And it's our prayer, Father, that as we open the book of Philippians together and as we seek to hear your voice, that Christ would be exalted in all things, that our hearts would be transformed so that we long to live in partnership for the gospel. We pray that your spirit would come and be our teacher and our instructor, that you would convict our hearts, that you would encourage our hearts, that you would transform our hearts to be more in tune with your own. Father, because we can't do anything as we ought without your help, we ask that you would come and help us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of my favorite Christmas gifts from this past year, or probably my favorite Christmas gift, is this poster that was framed for me. And as you look at the, the poster, you notice immediately it's a, a black and white photograph. And in the center of the photograph, it's fairly obvious that the central figure is LeBron James. And as you, your eyes sort of move out from the center, you notice that there, there's a group of men huddled up, arms outstretched and raised. And there's a second circle around the first huddle, and there are more arms outstretched, and then a third and a fourth. 
And it doesn't take long to figure out that in the center, the men who are together, huddled up, arms outstretched, are the world-famous Cleveland Cavaliers. And around them, in concentric circles, is a group of people, everyday, blue-collar Clevelanders. And in the bottom right-hand corner of the poster is one word in all capital letters, and that word is TOGETHER. Now, the reason that I love this gift so much is not because I love the Cleveland Cavs, but oh, do I love the Cleveland Cavs. The reason that I love this gift so much is that it's a symbol for me. It reminds me of the way in which God has orchestrated the church so that the gospel goes forth with power and clarity. See, the work of the gospel going forward is not the work of one man or one woman. It is the work of all of the people of God across all ages and in all places, together. Friends, that is the theme, the main purpose of the book of Philippians. Paul writes the book of Philippians while he's in prison to this group of people that he he planted a church among in his second missionary journey. And he writes to tell them that God's holy people live lives worthy of the gospel by being united in partnership in the gospel. I mean, listen to just some of the greatest hits, uh, verses from the book of Philippians that indicate this is the emphasis. Chapter 1, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Chapter 1, verse 7, for you are all partners or partakers with me of grace. Chapter 1, verse 27, with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 23, Timothy has served with me in the gospel. Chapter 2, verse 25, Epaphroditus, my fellow worker. Chapter 4, verse 3, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. Chapter 4, verse 15, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Together. Now as we dive into the book of Philippians this morning, what we find here in verses 1 through 11 is that Paul greets the Philippians. He tells them about his thanksgiving for them and his prayers for them. But In this passage, what we discover together is that all of God's people, each and every one of us, is a partner in the gospel from first to last. From the moment that we become Christians until the moment that Jesus returns, you and I are called to partnership in the gospel. I want to give you just an outline for the way that we're going to work through these 11 verses so you can have them in your mind as we make our way through. In verses 1 and 2, what we, hear, what we see is partnerships greeting. Paul greets the Philippians, partnerships greeting. In verses 3 to 8, we see partnerships gratitude as Paul gives thanks for the Philippians. And in verses 9 to 11, we see partnerships growth. What does it look like to grow in the gospel into the kind of person that makes a really good gospel partner. partner. Partnerships greeting, partnerships gratitude, partnerships growth. All right? So look down with me at verses 1 and 2. Partnerships greeting. Paul says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, as we read those verses together, it's immediately obvious that what we're dealing with here in Philippians is a letter. It begins fairly in a fairly straightforward, standard way, sender to recipients, greetings. But Paul was well known to alter conventional forms of letter writing for his own purposes. And what he does here in these first two verses is he begins to sound the notes of unity and togetherness and partnership right from the very jump. And he does so, first of all, by the way that he introduces himself. In verse 1, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Now, in nearly every one of Paul's letters, apart from Philippians, with the exception of First and Second Thessalonians, Paul begins by emphasizing his role as an apostle. That means an authoritative messenger of the Lord Jesus. He places himself above, in rank, and in authority, the churches that he's writing to. But here in Philippians, he doesn't do that. Instead, he refers to himself and Timothy, his partner, as servants, really slaves, of Christ Jesus. Now friends, the Bible doesn't know anything of a Christian who isn't called to be a servant of Jesus. You and I are called not only to believe on Jesus as Savior, but also to obey and follow Jesus as Lord. That's what it means to be a servant of Christ Jesus. That is what Paul joyfully does. He's a servant of Christ. He's a servant of Christ alongside Timothy, his young protege in the faith. And he's a servant of Christ alongside everyone, everywhere, who has ever trusted in Jesus. Unity. But not only that, in the way that he describes the people to whom he's writing, he continues to sound the note of togetherness. Look at verse 1 again. He writes to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints. I like the way that the NIV translates that. The new NIV translates that to all of God's holy people. See, the word saints has fallen on hard times for a lot of us because we tend to think of saints as this small group of super-Christians that are recognized by a church hierarchy. But for Paul, a saint is simply someone who knows Jesus. Someone who's repented of their sins, asked for God's forgiveness on the basis of what Christ has done for them on the cross, and has come to know and to be known by the Lord Christ. Set apart for God to be holy unto Him, serving Him for His purposes. This is what it means to be a saint. And you notice here that Paul doesn't write to a select few in the church. He writes to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And just so nobody feels left out, he includes the church leadership as well. I love that. He includes the leadership last to all the saints. Oh yeah, and by the way, this is to the elders and the deacons as well. Basically, in Western PA colloquialism, we might say that Paul's saying, I'm writing to all of yins in Christ Jesus at Philippi. I can't believe I even said that. He's writing to all the yins in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi. Not only that, but then he gives this blessing, which is a unified blessing that's given to all Christians at all times. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace is that unmerited favor that we receive from Jesus, undeserved mercy that leads us into the realm of his peace, tranquility, and completeness in relationship with him. All Christians everywhere unified under this blessing. 
So we have Paul and Timothy unified together as they write this letter. We have everybody in Philippi unified as they receive the letter. And we have everyone who's reading and writing the letter together unified under the banner of grace and peace together. Now, there are two applications that just jump right out of this introduction from Paul, from Partnership's Greeting, and and they seem almost somewhat contradictory for us. And the first is the inclusiveness of the gospel. Now again, Paul's writing to everybody, all of yins at Philippi. So you know what that means, friends, is a church here at First Baptist. It means it doesn't matter if you've been at First B for 50 years or 50 minutes. It really matters very little if you're an introvert or an extrovert. It doesn't even really matter if you have the gift of preaching or teaching or evangelism or hospitality. It doesn't matter if you're in your tween years or your twilight years. All of us together are called to partner in the one mission of seeing the gospel advance. The inclusiveness of the gospel. But outside of that, we also see that there's an exclusivity to the gospel. That means that the gospel includes some and excludes others. We can't get around that. We have to come to grips with the fact that Philippians is a letter written by Christian people for Christian people in gospel partnership. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, there's no partnership for you to partake in as of yet. And the call is clear to you. Receive the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And if you'll do so, you're on the team. You don't have to wait to be picked. You don't have to wait to be called on. You're on the team. You're in the partnership. You're on the mission. Partnerships greeting. But secondly, and this is the emphasis of this portion of the passage, we see partnerships gratitude. Paul almost, it it seems like he can't wait to give thanks to God for the Philippians. He says in verse 3, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because, verse 5, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul is a passionate man. And Paul is a passionate people person. And the one thing that he feels he must give thanks to God for are the Philippians themselves. And what's so helpful about the way in which he gives thanks for the Philippians is he shows us that partnership's gratitude runs really along three tracks. First of all, partnership's gratitude is consistent. It's constant. Did you see that in verse 3? Let me read it again. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine. There's this consistency as Paul thinks of the Philippians and their partnership in the Gospel in which he can't help but give thanks for them. Each and every time they come to mind, and they come to mind often, he thanks God for them. Now what we're going to see as we make our way through this Thanksgiving 
is that what Paul is driving us towards as a church is that this is the type of relationship that you and I ought to long for here at First Baptist. Right? So that as we think of one another, as we serve in the Gospel together, we'll have cause to give thanks for one another and our contributions to the mission of Christ together. So he gives thanks for the Philippians each and every time he remembers them. And we know that he remembers them often because he says down in verse 7 that he holds them in his heart. It's being on Paul's heart, he's on his mind, and being on his mind, he's in their prayers. Partnership's gratitude is consistent. Every time I pray for you, I give thanks. But also, partnership's gratitude is joyful. It's joyful. Paul says, I give thanks for you in every prayer of mine, making my prayer with joy. Now get this. Paul's in prison. Paul's in chains. He says throughout the letter that he's in chains for the gospel to confirm and to defend it. And as Paul sits in this prison, probably in Rome, he has reason to be joyful in the midst of great hardship as he thinks of those who have labored with him in the gospel. And friends, what that means for you and for me is this, that when the gospel is our primary focus, when it's our aim in life that Jesus be proclaimed, you and I will be able to rejoice in the worst of circumstances so long as Christ is preached. Paul's in prison, and he says, I make my prayers for you all with joy. He then says down in verse 8, God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. See, there's something about serving together in the Gospel that binds people together with joy and affection. As the world is looking for something authentic in the church, and for so long we've been trying to convince the world that we're just like them, when really all the while we should be trying to convince them that we're not like them. That we're knit together in joyful affection because of our partnership in the gospel. One of my heroes in life is my dad. I'm not ashamed to say that. I'm not embarrassed to say that. My dad is amazing. My dad was a battalion captain in the Akron Fire Department. He is a leader of men. He was a football coach. He's just kind of blue-collar, tough-as-nails kind of guy. He retired from the fire department when I was in second grade. He's a bit older. And when he retired, he and his friends made this commitment that they would meet together regularly, whether that was golfing three times a week, whether that's now that they get together for, for uh, food and drinks on Mondays every week. But the reason that they made that commitment to stay connected with one another is that there's something about running into a burning building together that binds men together in unity. Maybe you've been on a short-term missions trip, and you realize that when you first set out on the trip, maybe the people that you go along with you don't know very well, but then there's something about serving together in the cause of the gospel that brings you together in such closeness and partnership that you actually find that you make lifelong friends. At Parkside, people used to have 
short-term mission trip reunion parties because of how close they were in Christ. Paul thanks of his partners. He says, I rejoice over you. I, I have this amazing affection for you. And the point that he's driving towards, the main emphasis of partnership's gratitude is that it's confident. It's a confident gratitude. See, the gravitational center of all that Paul says here is verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm thinking about your partnership. I'm thinking about the way that you served alongside of me in the gospel. And it's making me look at the bigger picture. And what it's making me realize is that you are truly converted And having been truly converted, it's giving me confidence that God is going to see you straight through to the end. You became my partners on that first day when I preached the gospel in Philippi, and you will remain my partners all the way until the day of Christ. Confidence. Now some of us, we struggle with with feelings of of, uh, insecurity, maybe uncertainty, lack of assurance about our faith. We think, how do I know that I truly trust Christ? How would I even have any idea if if I'm real? If my faith is legit? One of the ways that you and I will know, and it's important to see that this is how Paul views it, you'll know that you've been grabbed by Christ when you have a genuine heart desire to see others grabbed by Christ. See, friends, we have to come to grips with this. The Bible doesn't know anything about a Christian who doesn't care about whether or not Christ is proclaimed. The Bible knows nothing about a Christian that's passive about the gospel going forth. No, rather, the Bible teaches us that when we've been gripped by Jesus, when we have a genuine participation in Christ, it will lead to a genuine partnership in the gospel. So Paul looks at the Philippians and he says, I remember the way that you served alongside of me and I'm confident you're going to run right through the tape. And you're not going to run right through the tape because you're great or you're able to keep yourselves. You're going to run right through the tape because God began this good work in you and I'm confident that he's going to complete it. You know, one of the things that we often say in our society and in our culture as we look at people who don't follow through on their promises or their commitments is that they never finish what they begin. It makes us look down on them. And here, Paul, as it were, he he brings God's reputation on the line and he says God never stops a job once he's started it. Friends, maybe this morning your, your, your worries aren't along the lines of whether I'm a genuine Christian. Maybe your worries are, how do I know I'm going to remain a Christian? I love what Marcus Bachmuel says, who I promise I'm not quoting because of his amazing name. But he says, in all this, Paul's confidence is not in the Christianity of the Christians, but in the godness of God, who is supremely trustworthy, able, and committed to finish the work he has begun. And I'm waiting for the day for, that I write a sentence like that. His confidence isn't in the Christianity of the Christians, but the godness of God who completes what He starts. That's partnership's gratitude. Thirdly and finally, we see partnership's 
growth? What does it look like for you and for me to grow in the gospel into the kind of gospel partners that truly make a difference? If you've ever wondered to yourself, what does it look like to grow in the gospel? It sounds like all that Mike ever talks about is the gospel. That's very insightful and correct. One of the things that we need to know is how we grow then if the gospel is our focus. And that's where Paul turns in verses 9 to 11 as he finally prays for them. Now get this, Paul has told them of his confidence that God's going to finish the work he started in them. If you're truly converted, God's going to bring your work through all the way to completion. And so he prays, get this, he prays on the strength of that conviction. He prays in light of what he knows to be true about God and what God is going to do in and through the Philippians. This isn't wishful thinking. This is biblical prayer. And so he says, verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is Gospel Growth 101. What's the major prayer? He prays that their love and their knowledge and their discernment may abound more and more. Love is that self-sacrificial quality displayed in Christ that sets aside my own self-interests and preferences for the good of the partnership. Knowledge is that true and authentic knowledge of God found in the Scriptures. And discernment is the ability to apply the love of Christ and the knowledge of God to life when the laws of God don't always give clear direction. See, sometimes when you come up to a curve, there will be a guardrail. That's a clear indication that you shouldn't drive off the cliff. Sometimes there isn't a guardrail. Discernment says there isn't anything stopping me from driving off the cliff, but I don't think it'd be best or wise to do so. Paul says, I want all three of these things to grow almost braided together in this three-chord strand of Christian virtue. Because here's the thing. Love without knowledge and discernment is foolish sentimentalism. Knowledge without love and discernment is moral self-righteousness. Discernment without love and knowledge is simple, natural virtue. But love knowledge and discernment braided together in Christ is gospel partnership. Now notice too why Paul prays this prayer. What's going to happen in the Philippians if God and when God answers this prayer? First of all, they'll be able to approve what is excellent. It simply means know what's best. It means to emphasize the main things and the plain things and to recognize that everything else is merely preference. It's the ability to know that the deity of Christ, the supremacy of Christ, the priority of the gospel, the authority of Scripture, those are the sort of things that we're going to land on together. And it's going to prevent us from getting our noses out of joint on things that really aren't all that important. I mean, think about how many partnerships, how many teams, how many families have been ripped apart because of a lack of an ability to discern what's best. I was reminded of this almost humorously in uh, This American Life 
episode about these two brothers who were in their 80s and hadn't spoken in years. And one of the the men's sons was trying to get them to reconcile. And so one of the first things that he had to do was find out the source of the bitterness. And he said that was the most difficult thing to do. And one telling it was that Sheldon was upset that he had to sleep in Mac's attic. The other telling was that Mac was upset that he had to sleep in Sheldon's basement. One of the other stories was one man felt like he had to pay too much for mom's funeral. The other one was, you know, he, he didn't bring a table to the other son's bris, so he had to be circumcised on an ironing board. I mean, it was hilarious. I mean, this is delicious. They're, they're so worked up about things that aren't important, they can't even remember why they started fighting in the first place. Paul says, no. Know what's best. Know what's right. And in so doing, you'll be the kind of gospel partners that really make a difference. Not only that, Verse 11, verses 10 and 11, they'll be able to approve what's best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I wouldn't be stunned to find out that there's someone here this morning who's going, okay, love, knowledge, and discernment. Tell me how to get started on those things. How do I have a crack at love, knowledge, and discernment? Give me some practical advice, some practical teaching about how to grow in my love, my knowledge, and my discernment. Here's here's something amazing. I can't. I can't. Why? Paul doesn't. Look at what Paul says here. His prayer is to the end, verse 11, that they would be filled with the fruit of righteousness. What is the fruit of righteousness? Love Knowledge and discernment. Well, how do we get that? I want that. Verse 11, it comes through Jesus Christ and it comes to the glory and praise of God. Now, see, friends, if I could tell you, look, here, here are the three steps to be more loving, more knowledgeable, and more discerning. You might do it and get all the glory for yourself. Good job. But, God does that in you through the gospel then all the glory is His. This fruit isn't produced by us. It's planted by Christ. So how do I grow in love and knowledge and discernment to be the kind of gospel partner that makes a real difference? I pray for my brothers and sisters that God might fill them with these things. And I focus really long and really hard on the one who produces this in me. I look to Jesus and I don't forget the gospel. And as I go deeper into the gospel, I'll find slowly over time, my mates at work are going to say, you know, you're a little bit more loving this week than last You know a little bit more about God than you did the last time we spoke. How'd you become so wise? You always know what to do. And your answer will be Jesus. So Paul, he's sitting in this prison cell in Rome, and he writes to the Philippians, and he's so grateful for their partnership. He can't wait to tell them how thankful he is for them. He can't wait to give them a prayer report. This is how I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you'll continue to grow into the type of people that make wonderful gospel partners. 
I'm so thrilled to see how the gospel is going to sound forth from Philippi. And if you'll allow me a bit of sanctified imagination, I'd imagine that as Paul finishes writing Philippians, he, he puts his parchment down and he looks at the wall of his cell and smiling, he writes in all capital letters, together. Are you with us? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the gospel goes forth not from an elite few, but from your people gathered together in partnership to see Christ proclaimed. Father, as we embark on this journey through the book of Philippians, it's our prayer that you would make us the kind of people that are solid gospel partners. That you would give us confidence that you've begun a good work in us and that you will indeed complete it. We pray that as we look to Jesus, the one who loves us and died for our sins, that you would fill us with a genuine self-sacrificing love, a true knowledge of who you are and what you do, and a wisdom, a discernment that knows what's best and tests what's excellent. Father, there are so many things that might divide us. We pray that you would help us to major on what unites us. And we pray that the gospel would sound forth from First Baptist all throughout this area, throughout this state, throughout this world, as we link arms and move forward together. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.